to them. It's a real blessing to be here uh, and to sense uh, a vision that is strong, a church that's on a mission. And uh, our family, we are the Gilmores, and uh, we believe that God has given us a go mission. Do you believe in a go mission, right? It's not just a come mission, it's a go mission that the Lord has given to us. And uh, we believe that every believer is a part of that go mission. That the very core work that God has for us to do is not what the pastor or preacher does, it's what every believer does. And that as we train every believer to make and multiply disciples, it's limitless how far this can go. Amen? Um, that if we just wait for the pastor to do it, he's only one man. His main job is to equip all of us to do the work of the ministry. And so that's why we call our mission training believers everywhere. And when we train everyone, I believe we have the potential to actually finish the mission that God has given us to, to do. Um, and uh, I'm so thankful, as I mentioned, for my family. In fact, Go Mission actually has a little hidden meaning in it. If you look at it, it starts with G. O-M, which actually means Gilmore's on mission. All right, so there's a hidden meeting in that go mission. Um, and uh, we're just thankful for the opportunity God's giving us as a family. Now, um, maybe some of you were not here, just really quickly. Um, in fact, turn to John chapter 20. We'll get to John 20 in just a minute. But I did want to let you know where, where in the world is Papua New Guinea. And uh, there you've got a, a map up there on the, uh, on the slide. It's north of Australia and it's east of Indonesia. It's an island in the South Pacific. God's done some amazing things among the unreached there as we talked about some great breakthroughs that have occurred and people have become evangelists to their own people. The fruit of that missionary work has produced literally dozens of of trained pastors and preachers. And the potential in that island is amazing because, as he pointed out, the nation has actually asked Bibles to be distributed to every child in Papua New Guinea with the understanding that the Bible has the potential to change people. And we are going to be going and staying and visiting, uh, being with Brother Callistus on his island in the East Sepik province. Um, we're going to be living in a place a lot like that. And our goal is to make and multiply disciples. I just wanted to put this here in front of you. Um, what we want to do is we want to actually live Christ's style of disciple multiplication. And we can see that in his ministry. And on the slide here, it begins by Jesus showing up. And saying, hey, come and see Jesus. Aren't you glad Jesus showed up in your life? Think about that. Some of you, it's been fairly recently where you met Jesus. Or you met someone who knew Jesus. And that changes everything, right? It starts there. Jesus came into the world, and aren't you glad he showed up? That star over Bethlehem made sure that everyone knew something special's just happening. And you know, when a missionary shows up, something special happens. Come and see Jesus. He just showed up. And it starts there, and you just talk about Jesus. And evangelism, or just sharing the gospel, is stage one. But after Jesus shows up, people meet him, they receive him, and now you teach them 
to follow and walk with Jesus. And then they lead others to fish for Jesus. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. That's really part two or stage two. Follow, here's how to walk with Jesus every day, and fish for others. Tell your story. Tell others what Jesus is doing for you. Amen? All right. How many of us can follow and fish? All of us, right? Every single one of us. So that is what we do with every believer. Teach them how to follow and to fish. Then comes stage three where in a relationship that is close to someone who has followed Jesus for a time, we teach someone to be, we're with someone so we can send them. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus chose 12 disciples. Now, he had hundreds that were on the hillside, but he went up in a mountain and chose out 12. Now, why would he select 12 instead of 200? Why did he choose 12 instead of 2,000? Wouldn't 2,000 be better? And here's the thing. You cannot make, have a close relationship with 2,000 people. You can't have a close relationship with 200 people. In fact, disciple-making and multiplying requires small group relationships. That's why if Jesus had to operate in a small group, we need to. And I know that some of those are happening here on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and so forth. And I get in a small group. In fact, don't just get in one, start one. Start one yourself. Start teaching someone else what God has taught you, and you'll multiply. In fact, Jesus' goal in that small group was that those 12 men would do the very same things he was doing. Jesus was going about, it's three things are very clear. He was teaching, he was healing, he was casting out demons. And in Mark 3, when Jesus calls those men to come with him, he says, you're going to teach the gospel, you're going to heal, and you're going to cast out demons. Do you know there was no difference? None at all. Jesus actually said, you're going to do the works that I've done, and you're going to do greater works. Do you know when a missionary shows up, he should know the Word of God. He probably is the best preacher around. He might be the best prayer around. But do you know what? It shouldn't be that way for long. He should get in small groups. And actually, the greatest potential in Papua New Guinea is not me showing up. The greatest potential in Papua New Guinea is not ever anything I will do because I'll always be a foreigner. The greatest potential for a missionary, for someone showing up in Papua New Guinea, is to actually get close to a few local men, put in their hands the work that God's called us to do, and it will multiply in their hands. The greater works. In fact, Jesus deliberately restricted what he did so that the greater work could be done in the hands of his disciples. And that leads us to the final phrase, uh, phase of abide to multiply, where literally we say, now look, I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit's got this. He's got you. Follow him. The work is in your hands and multiply it. Amen? And that's Jesus' pattern. Did Jesus leave? Did he go up to heaven? He's at heaven. He's seated at the throne right now. Now is the work. The work's in our hands. Man, sometimes we mess up, don't we? But Jesus literally says, I'm not showing up to fix that. It's your, the Holy Spirit's in you. I'm going to lead you. Yeah, we'll fix these things, but there's no plan B. 
Jesus showing up as physical is not an option. It's in our hands. Amen? And His Holy Spirit's in us, and He's going to fill us, and He's going to use us in wonderful ways. And do you see how that's Jesus' pattern? Amen? We're all part of that. That needs to happen in Milwaukee, needs to happen in Papua New Guinea, and it'll, that is the pattern that we're uh, looking for that God would um, put in place there. Let's look at John chapter 20. I want to encourage you here in the last few minutes with this passage of Scripture, John chapter 20, um, and beginning in verse 19. John 20, beginning in verse 19. Then... The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 26. And after eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. I want to talk to you this morning on this theme of peace for our mission. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the mission that you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that you'd comfort our hearts and encourage us and equip us with our time here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In, in, in verse 19, the disciples are gathered in a room, the doors are shut, and why are they, they? Why are they in that location? They were assembled for what? For fear of the Jews. This is just a couple days after Christ had been crucified. If, Jesus, if, if the Jews had just gotten their Messiah, they could come for them very soon. And they're up in a room, the door is closed, and they are filled with fear. Um, do you know one of Satan's, there's, there's two great weapons Satan uses. One weapon he uses is the weapon of deception. If he could get us off of what's true, he'll control us. But there's a second weapon he uses, and that is the weapon of fear. Fear. In fact, if we we'll look at our world today, Satan is using that weapon like he's never used it before. Across our, on a global scale, the weapon of, the reality of fear is just increasing. Here in America, fear. Since COVID, fear financial fears, health fears, political fears. In fact, it is really almost becoming a culture of fear. And I want us to recognize this, where fear is increasing in our patterns and in our culture and the way we think, Satan is taking control. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, clear thinking. 
Satan is using confusion to bring fear into people's lives, and he's going to control the world with it. That's his plan. But here's the thing that troubles me. That spirit of fear is coming into God's people. That spirit of fear is coming into our churches. We're making decisions not based on faith, but based on fear. Well, I can't go to church because I might get sick. You know, that actually is probably not clear thinking. Well, I can't go be a witness because someone might not appreciate what I have to say. And when we allow fear to become the basis for the choices we're making, who's in control of us? It's Satan. Satan is taking control of entire bodies of believers. I mean, they're Christ's church. But who's in control of it? Satan is. How is that? I mean, they still hold on to the truth in some ways. Now, of course, when you abandon truth, Satan takes over then too, right? But if you keep the truth but live in fear, Satan is still in control. So here's the disciples. They're controlled by this fear, and Jesus shows up, and look what he says. Peace be unto you. Do you know what that word peace means? It means this. Peace is a sense of calm confidence. Peace is knowing that everything is right between me and my God and my place in this world. Peace. Peace is being free from threatening or impending harm. Wow, just saying those words isn't it like a fresh breeze into your soul. Peace, calm, confidence, free from threat or harm, a sense that everything is right in my world and between me and my God. Does God really have that for me? Can that really be my, the condition of my inner soul? Absolutely it can be. And Jesus wants to come to our midst this morning and say, peace be unto you. Amen. That kind of health, that kind of comfort deep in your inner man, Jesus brings to you this morning. Now, how does he do that? There's three reasons why we can be at peace rather than be in fear. Look at, the, look at verse 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Here's the first reason, the greatest reason why we can be at peace in a troubled world, and that is this, Jesus is alive and well. Jesus is not in that tomb. He isn't dead any longer. He has conquered sin, death, and hell for every one of us who knows him. He is alive and well. And because he, we just sang that song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And it's because he's alive. I love Colossians chapter 2 where it describes our condition and Jesus' victory. Notice it says this, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's talking about before knowing Christ, we're dead. We're cut off from God. And it says this, You hath he quickened, made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, 
blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Do you know the only thing in this universe that has the power to separate you from the love of God is sin? That's the only thing. The only thing that has the power to damn you or to destroy you is sin. And the Bible tells us the soul that sins, it must die. So there's a record of our sin that stands against us. In fact, it's what Satan uses to accuse us, right? It's, it's what's in his hand. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross and all the record, the Bible says that the record of our sin debt was nailed to the innocent, guiltless Lamb of God. But now all of a sudden, all of our guilt and our junk is on the body. It says in his body he bore our sin. It's on him. And I think at that moment Satan thought he'd finally won. Not only is sin on all the created humans, I just got sin on top of the Son of Man. Man, I got what I want. But Satan did not figure on one thing. And that's what he did. He did not figure on the power of the blood of Jesus. Because the moment God transferred all of our sin and our guilt and our condemnation on top of the innocent, pure Lamb of God, the blood that was shed washed away the record of that debt. I tell you what, I don't know where you've got a record. If you come, you know, I might have a record in the county courthouse of Milwaukee, you know. And, you know, if I walked into that county courthouse, I could never expect that I had any right to change the record that's in those books. But do you know that the blood of Jesus has the power to change the record of your sin debt that's in the, in the heavenlies? You and I don't have any right to change the record of anything that happened in the books of heaven, but Jesus does. And the record of every last sin that you've ever committed in your mind, in your words, in your deeds, it has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, forgiven us all trespasses. And you know that that verse goes on and says this, that after he cleansed us, nailed it to the cross, that he spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Do you know the only right that Satan has to influence your life is your record of sin. He has no essential authority in your life. But the moment you come to Jesus, that authority that right that he had to you is broken. You're, spo you're, you're the spoil from the cross. You were in the enemy territory. Jesus paid your sin debt, and now he takes you back out of that captivity, and you are now part of, you belong to Jesus. And Satan does not have a right to you. You know, we might be citizens of a world, and we can see Satan's work on every hand, right? But do you know that you and I are part of a different citizenship? We're part of a different kingdom. Before you're a citizen of America, you're a citizen of heaven. Before you're under the government of whatever you might be, you are actually under the authority of the risen Christ. And you can look at Satan's activity without fear. You can see what he's doing and say, I see what you're doing, and you don't have a right to touch me 
And if God does allow you to touch me, and he does sometimes, it will only advance the cause of Christ. Satan can't win. He already lost. In fact, the, only, the ultimate thing that we would fear is death, right? That's the ultimate fear. Do you know that this verse says that we have been quickened and made alive? Do you know that the actual death that was once in your future is now in your past? Do you know what death is? Separation from God. Do you know that that will never happen to you? If you're in Christ, absent from the body, present with the Lord. In fact, Jesus, Paul said, I'm a twixt, I'm a, I'm a twixt between two choices. I, I have to stay here, but being with Christ is far better. You know that you and I don't have to fear death. You don't have to, you say, man, you're going to go to Papua New Guinea. One of you might die. Um, well, that, there are risks there that actually could. It's not likely, but it could. And if it does happen, it will only forward the cause of Christ, right? But do we have to fear if one of us dies? No, actually, the only one who would be troubled in that case would be those of us left behind. The one who died is good. <laughs> right? They're in heaven. My father passed away this July. Uh, I, I'm telling you, um, he's, he, he's, he's all for what we're doing, but I'm telling you, he's not coming back. <laughs> and he's in heaven. And my mother had passed away seven years before, and they're together. And I'm telling you, they have run their race. They finished their course. They're in the presence of God. It's victory, victory, victory. Amen? Amen? And folks, that's what we have because we're in Christ. We, Jesus is alive and well. We're alive in him. Satan has lost the right to touch us. We have his victory and we can be glad. Amen. Amen. We can be glad. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can leave on his side. You can leave today having that matter settled. I encourage you to talk to someone and ask, how can I know Jesus is my Savior? How can I know my sins are all forgiven? How can I know I have eternal life? Because you can. These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. So the first reason that we have here is that because Jesus is alive and well. I must move on quickly. Look at the second time. Look here what Jesus said in verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. Aren't you glad Jesus repeats himself sometimes? <laughs> peace be unto you. Um, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And we said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. Here's the second reason why you and I can be at peace. And that is this, Jesus has a mission for us. You know, there's a reason we're here on earth. Well, this world is going crazy. This world's going nuts. I just got to hold on to the end because I, I can't wait to get out of here. Wait, hold on, hold on. You got a reason to be here. Don't just hope to get out of here. You got a reason to be here. And you know, when you forget that reason, you lose hope. If you forget why you're here, it just becomes a pain to be here, right? But we've got a mission. And Jesus actually says, the mission I came on, it's in your hands now. The very same reason I came to earth is now the reason you're here. Do you know the moment you came to Christ, you switched reasons for being here? Because this isn't your final destination. You're not, Jesus was just passing through. And you and I, we're just passing through. You're not here to succeed at a great financial, you know, 
portfolio, so you got a retirement on some island in the middle of the Pacific. Wait, 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 that's where I'm going from. <laughs> some people would like to retire where I'm going. Um, but, you know, you're not here just to retire. You're here for a reason and a mission, and that mission is getting the gospel to every creature. That's why we're here. And that, that's the mission of this church, amen? Those of you connected to this local church, what this church is all about is why you're here on earth. Like what happens on Sunday, what happens on Saturday, and what happens when you're outreaching, what happens in your workplace and you're, you're witnessing, that's why you're here. And if we can live connected to that, you know what you have? You have peace. You say, oh no, I'm so scared about ministry. I'm just so scared about opening my mouth. I'm just so, I, I, I just feel like I can't do it. All right, so this is what you do. You say, oh, I can't do that. You know, I just got to stay home. I just got to sit on the sidelines. I just can't step up to that. Let me ask you this. You go home, you bolt the door, you stay inside. Do you have less fear or more fear? I just want to say this. Not being on mission does not decrease your fear level. It only increases it. You have peace when you step out on mission. You say, well, how's that work? It works just like this. Okay, Lord, I know you got me here for a reason, and I'm going... By the way, doesn't he say he, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost? Why did he breathe on them at that moment? Because the mission is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you're not on your, you're not on your own in this. The Holy Spirit is right there, and he was poured out on Pentecost, and we're all part of that. And so, okay, all right, you want me to do this. I can't do it, but you give me the Holy Spirit. I'm going to step out, and I'm going to speak. I'm going to go out on this outreach. I'm going to go out and do this. I'll do this thing I'm so afraid to do. And you know what you, know what you experience when you step out? The power of God. You discover I'm not alone. I'm Jesus. And you know what you, you, know what you have? You have peace. Staying home, sitting on the sidelines didn't give you peace. It just bound you deeper in your fear. But when you stepped out, depending on the Holy Spirit, you experienced God. You experienced your reason for being here. You know what you get? Peace. So peace is not avoiding the mission. Peace is embracing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and every single one of us, by the way, the mission doesn't belong to the preacher. The mission doesn't belong to the evangelist, doesn't belong to the missionary. The mission belongs to all of us. Amen. Amen. This peace, this mission is for all of us. Now let's come to the last section here. Look at verse 26. And after eight days, again his disciples were with him, and Thomas with them. Aren't, you know, Thomas just made a bad choice when he missed that first meeting, didn't he? <laughs> uh, don't, don't, don't make more than eight days before you gather with believers. All right, you get here, and, uh, and you, 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 you meet with the disciples. But Thomas uh, didn't. But this time he's there. And it sp says specifically, Thomas is with them. <laughs> oh, that's great. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. All right, why are the doors shut? Well, last time it was for fear. Do you think maybe they still got a fear problem going on? Probably, probably. Um, I think, uh, are, are, we, are we all prone in this battle? 
Yeah, right? I mean, okay, I'm going to get this fear issue settled once and for all. Well, probably not. Probably not. Going to take faith, take steps. We're going to be tempted in the same way. It's all right. Um, uh, we're going to have Jesus show up. And he says, notice what he says. Jesus stands in the midst of them and says, once again, peace be unto you. Aren't you glad? Uh, then said he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither my hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. I see in this moment the gentle touch of the Savior. You know what Thomas had said? Ah, I'm not going to believe what you're saying. You said he's alive. Ah, you're making that up. Now, was, I mean, did Thomas have to respond that way? It really wasn't great faith. I mean, he wasn't really being a great Christian, was he? Uh, in fact, he wasn't even being a good friend because he was saying, you're lying to me. You know, it, he was just really being stubborn, wasn't he? Really a doubter in kind of an in-your-face sort of way. And he says, oh man, if I don't touch his hand, if I don't feel his side, I'm not going to believe. And what did Jesus do when he walked, showed up. He didn't walk up to Thomas and said, Thomas, you got a problem, you know? You're just a big doubter and you won't even trust your friend's reports. Man, Thomas, I'm so disappointed in you. Is that how he responded? Aren't you glad Jesus knows exactly where we're at? And aren't you glad that Jesus just isn't after spanking us? Pointing up, you got a problem, buddy. You know, sometimes I think we think Jesus is like that. And we just kind of, oh, we just tremble. Maybe you had someone in your life who was just that kind of a person, and you think Jesus is that kind of person. But don't you see the tenderness of Jesus? Hey, Thomas, come. Thomas, I know what you said. You said you wouldn't believe it unless you saw this and this. Here, look at my hand. Hey, look at my side. Thomas, don't be faithless. Believe. Aren't you glad Jesus meets you right where you're at? There might be someone in this room who would say, Pastor Kim, I know you're talking about this, and I look around this room, and I see some great men and women, and they're serving the Lord, and they're singing over here, and, and, you know, and when I feel myself, I have got to be the greatest scaredy cat in this room. Like, if, if what you're talking about, I, I'm off the charts on the fear scale. I want you to say this, Jesus knows that. And he's not here putting you on the spot about it. He's not here saying, yeah, you're the one I'm talking about. No, he's not. You know what Jesus is? He wants. You know what? You know boldness and courage is not a temperament. It's not a personality trait. You say, I feel like I'm the weakest. You qualify. You qualify. God wants to use you in our weakness. Then we're strong. The one in this room who is pr maybe prone to the most fear is the one who actually God can probably use in the greatest way. And he knows where you're at. Just say, Jesus, here I am. You know everything about me. I'm just saying, Jesus, show up in my life and give me the courage, and he will. He'll show you exactly what you need to know, to, and he'll guide you. And Thomas... And, uh, and Thomas reaches out, and he touches his side, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God, and he, he's convinced what a beautiful moment. But look at verse 29. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, 
thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And I want to end with this thought. What Jesus was saying to Thomas was this. Thomas, you've seen me and you're believing. That's good. I'm glad. Because you saw me, Thomas, you believe. That's good. But he says, Thomas, there's a better way to live. Thomas, if you keep requiring sight before you believe, you're going to be an up and down Christian. If you only believe it when you see it, you are going to be as unstable as water. Isn't that true? Like, oh, I know God wants to work it. Oh, look, he's working. Yes. Oh, no. Where's he working? I lost sight of it. Oh, no. What's happening? Oh, he's working. I see it now. You know, oh, no. Oh, no. Where's he working? And if you're living by sight, you're going to be up and down like that, right? Sometimes you're going to see. Amen. Sometimes you're not. Oh, and you're going to be down in the depths. It says, Thomas, there's a better way to live. Blessed are those who believe when they don't see. Do you know what faith is? Faith is this. Faith is when all we require of God is his word on the matter. Amen. Do you know there's one thing that must be fulfilled, and that's the word of God? Amen. Do you know that our rights do not come from the Constitution? Our rights come from the word of God. They could totally rewrite the Constitution tomorrow, and our right to be a church and who we are will not change. Amen? Amen. The Word of God, everything in this book must be fulfilled. All the governments of the world could write every anti-law against the Word of God, and they could try it, but they could only do one thing. They'd fulfill it. You know, Satan's fulfilling Scripture. All these... All these uh, all these nations of the world that are lining up in different ways, do you know that it's all written right here? They're not breaking God's word, they're fulfilling it. We're watching, hist we're watching prophecy be fulfilled, and we know what's going on. That, you know what, since the word's right here, we should be just stable. We should just be solid. Fear of world events. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. All these things must come to pass. Who's in control of all this? The one who wrote this book, and this word doesn't change, and I just want to encourage you, every one of us needs our, we need an encounter with God in his word every day. Amen. When you're in his word and he's speaking to you, you have a solidity to your walk with God. If you only listen to the word on Sundays when you come, and you're going to be up and down. Because the word of God is our rock. He only is my rock. Amen. And if we're rooted here, we will be at peace. And I want to just, our world needs peace, doesn't it? But if God's people don't have peace, where are they going to find it? Do you know, the, here's this tragedy. When you and I allow fear to control us, we lose our witness. We lose our testimony. Because the world should look at you and I and say, how are they handling it like that? How, where is their peace coming from? How come they're not falling apart? How come they have this 
joy and this love, the fruit of the Spirit comes out. How do they? And then we can tell them, here's why. Amen? It is time for God's people to have peace. The world needs peace, and we're the only source for it. Amen? So we need peace, but our world needs us to have peace so they can find the peace that comes from Christ and knowing Him. Amen? So I say to you this morning, peace be unto you. Jesus is alive and well. We have a mission and a reason to be here, and we can live by faith in the unchanging Word of God. Peace be unto you. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you that you know right where we are and that you've got us here for a very important moment in history. You've got us right here in Milwaukee. You've got us going around the world. You've, you're, you're doing stuff that's big, and we're part of it. We're on a mission with you, and we have your peace. Lord, I pray that this morning you'd, t you'd take away that stronghold of fear, and you'd fill us with faith and a readiness to join that mission. We pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified in our lives. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for offering us this peace for this mission that you've given to us. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.